0: In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without shape and empty. And darkness was over the surface of the watery deep. But the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. So God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. There was evening and there was morning. Marking the first day. What if God never said, let there be light? What if this was our reality? Darkness, blackness, shadows. What if you were to wake up one morning and you couldn't see a thing? Your eyes were open, but your vision was gone. You were completely blind. How might life be? Down about a thousand feet below the ocean's surface. A whole host of sea creatures live their entire lives without ever seeing a single ray of daylight. But you know what? You don't have to be a thousand feet below the surface of the ocean to be living in darkness. You might be here today and have perfectly normal 2020 vision. But you might be living in utter darkness. But if that's you today. I want you to know. You're in the right place. You're in the right place today. Because here you are. And the presence of God is here. Right now. And with God all things are possible. He's the one who said let there be light. And there were no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There was light. So if God has done something in your life this week, why don't you give Him some praise? If God has given you hope this week when you were hopeless, why don't you just give Him some praise right now? If God has given you strength when you felt like giving up, why don't you give him some praise? How about if God has given you breath in your lungs today? Why don't you give him some praise? Today, we continue our sermon series called Life Without God. I don't know how people live without God. Because a life without God is a life of hopelessness. It's a life without purpose. It's a life of darkness. In this sermon series, we're exploring how God brings hope to the hopelessness. How God brings love to the loneliness. How God brings purpose to the purposelessness. How God brings service to the selfishness. And today we're going to explore... How God brings daylight to the darkness. But as we move forward with this today, our text in view this morning actually is a scene about how God brings darkness to the daylight. So if you're able to stand, I want to invite you to stand as we revere the word of God here at Journey the Church. And turn in your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 10. Verses 21 through 22. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Extend your hand toward heaven, so that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness so thick it can be felt. So Moses extended his hand toward heaven, and there was absolute darkness throughout the land of Egypt for three days. God, we come before you and we want to learn today what it means to live in the daylight, to walk in the glorious light of the Lord, to open up our hearts today, God. Speak to us each individually in a way that we need to hear. Take my words, Lord, and make them yours. May your thoughts and your words prevail in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So here we are at the ninth plague, the plague of darkness. The Israelites are still enslaved in Egypt under the brutal reign of an unnamed pharaoh. Was this Ramses II, or was this T- Mosey third, or was this Amenhotep II? We can't be certain. All those are names of pharaohs. Uh, they would be good baby names if you're looking for one. But the Bible simply calls him pharaoh, so we'll do the same simply by calling him pharaoh. A man named Moses has been called by God to go and speak to this pharaoh, to deliver a simple spiel. Let my people go. Pharaoh says, are you crazy? First of all, your people? No, 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 no. They are my slaves. And how would I ever decide to let them go? These people are mine. They are my populace, free of charge workforce. I'm not just going to let them walk out the door. Moses refuses to unleash the people, and so God unleashes plagues. says, all right, you won't let my people go. How about I make the Nile River bloody? How about I send some frogs, gnats, and flies? How about I disease your livestock, bubble up boils on your skin? How about I send hail and thunder and fire? How about... I send locusts to ravage your land. Still won't let my people go? After eight horrendous plagues, Pharaoh's heart remains hardened and he's unwilling to let the people go. So God tells Moses, All right, prepare for another plague. He tells him, Extend your hand toward heaven. Uh, The Hebrew is Shemayim, toward the sky. Because I'm about to brew up a darkness that is so dark that it can be felt. This darkness, this Choshech is the Hebrew. It's a darkness that is different than the darkness we saw in Genesis chapter 1-2. Although it's the same Hebrew word, Choshech, I know it sounds like I'm sneezing, but you don't have to say, bless you. But say it with me. It's really fun to say, choshech. Yeah. This choshech, this darkness, is different than Genesis 1, even though it's the same Hebrew word, because there, in Exodus 10 here, there's this conjunction with another verb, mush. Everybody say, mush. So this darkness, this choshech, is with this verb "mush," which means to feel. It's a felt darkness. Well, how is this feeling verb used throughout the Old Testament? It's used in a couple of other places, some significant places I want to share with you so we get a, an idea of how this darkness feels. It's describing the experience of people groping in darkness in Deuteronomy and in the book of Job. Uh, Laban feeling through or searching the belongings of his daughter, Rachel, as he's looking for his household gods that she happens to be sitting on here in Genesis chapter 31. And then Isaac, who's feeling the hairy costume of his son, Jacob, who's dressed up pretending to be his brother Esau. So it gives us this sort of idea, a, a very feeling, a very groping type of aspect To the darkness. This plague of darkness is so dark, so sufficiently thick in its darkness that it appears to be like a substance, like oil or tar. Even though it's just thin air, there's a physical component to the darkness. I've been in a couple of dark places before. In my life, where it felt like the darkness had a physical component to it. I remember doing missions work in Eastern Europe, and I walked into a particularly dark room, and this room was completely engulfed in darkness. I walked in and I was just immersed in darkness. It was so dark, I felt my face to try and see if my eyes were open or closed because I couldn't tell. I I looked for my hand in front of my face and I, I couldn't see it. Completely overwhelmed by the darkness. And I knew that this room was empty in darkness, but... I felt something strange, something peculiar. Like across the room in the darkness, it felt like there was something there. Like some presence that was like sinister. It felt evil. It felt like it utterly hated me. Every single thing about me. I didn't really know what to do as I'm standing here, fully engulfed in the darkness. So I took a deep breath said a prayer, walked across the room, and turned on the light. When I turned on the light, all the darkness was gone. I don't know if this was just a relapse back to the I'm afraid of the dark childhood days, or if there actually was something evil and sinister present there in the room. But regardless, the fascinating part was that When the light was flipped on, all the darkness was chased away. That's what I love about light that all the darkness in the world cannot extinguish the light from a single candle. I love that. Light affects us tremendously. Just ask somebody living in Alaska you know, certain periods of the winter, you don't even see the sun. No, thanks. I had a couple of friends who who boomeranged back home to Southern California after spending a semester or two up in the Pacific Northwest. And they all had the same reason for returning home to sunny Southern California. I missed the sun. Well, so too did the Egyptians here in Exodus chapter 10. Verses 22 through 23a says, so Moses extended his hand toward heaven and there was absolute darkness throughout the land of Egypt for three days. No one could see another person and no one could rise from his or her place for three days. Now, three days in darkness doesn't really seem like a, a big deal. But remember, this darkness is, is oppressive. This darkness is... Thick. This, this darkness is gloomy with a sense of density and calamity. It's the kind of darkness that produces madness. The people are essentially struck blind in this darkness. Everything's at a standstill. You may say, well, why didn't they light a candle? You know, especially since all the darkness in the world cannot extinguish a single Light from a single candle. What? Why don't you do that? Verse 23 tells us no one could see another person. And no one can rise from his or her place for three days. They were completely immobile. So apparently, this darkness that God sends is so thick and so felt that it can, in fact, extinguish the light from a single candle. This darkness... It's physical, it's spiritual, and also is full of theological ramifications. When we begin to understand a little bit more about Egyptian culture and ancient Egyptian mythology, I think it it really sheds a lot of light and significance to this biblical passage here. You see, because the Egyptians, they had the sun as a paramount Importance in their lives. The sun was essential to their lives. It was deified as a god. Ra or Amun-Ra. And this sun was regarded as the first king of the land. From whom all pharaohs were descended. It was deified. It was worshipped like a god. But not just any god. This was the top God of the Egyptian pantheon. It was viewed as the source of light, heat, creativity, and a symbol of the cosmic order. And so in plague number nine, when the light gets turned off, it's a complete humiliation of Amun-Ra. Essentially, what's happening is this so-called top God, the sun God, just got shut off by the one true God. This darkness affects all the people in a physical, in a spiritual, and in a theological way. Everybody except for the Israelites. Verse 23b says, But the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Those who were living a life with God, they lived in the daylight. The Israelites were living in the daylight, whereas those who were living a life without God were living in the darkness. Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Pharaoh was living a life apart from God, and therefore he was living a life of darkness. And I find it very ironic here, very ironic that Pharaoh and Egypt they're affected by a plague of darkness. That, that Pharaoh experiences this darkness because he is in a spiritually dark place. Let's continue with verse 24. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Only your flocks and herds will be detained. Even your families may go with you. So after three days of darkness... Pharaoh can't take it anymore. He finally sees the light. And he tells Moses, as he summons him, you can go and worship the Lord. Take everybody with you. Just leave the animals. Leave the livestock. But Moses says, will you also provide us with sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may present them to the Lord our God? In other words, uh, Pharaoh, we're supposed to do some sacrifices and we need animals to do some sacrifices. Are you going to provide us with the animals? Our livestock must also go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind, for we must take these animals to serve the Lord our God. Until we arrive there, we do not know what we must use to serve the Lord. Now, This may not seem like a big deal to us who maybe we know the story of the Exodus and we know that Moses is like the champion of the Old Testament. He's a huge character in the first five books of the Bible, a great role model. But here he is a minority person who is going up face to face with the most powerful man in the world. And he's saying stuff like this. He is back talking the most powerful man in the world. You don't do that. But apparently living a life with God, living a life in the light, gives you a boldness where you have no fear of doing stuff like that. And I think that's amazing. Here you have Moses going to Pharaoh and saying, I told you, let my people go. And when I said, let my people go, that means everybody. Everybody young, everybody old, every male, every female, every foot, and every hoof. So deal with it, Pharaoh. Verse 27 says, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. What? And he was not willing to release them? Did we read that right? The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he, that is Pharaoh, was not willing to release them, the Israelites. I thought that God was supposed to be bringing daylight to the darkness, not darkness to the daylight. I thought that God was supposed to be softening hearts, not hardening hearts. What's going on here? Why is God hardening Pharaoh's heart? Let's have a heart-to-heart about this hardened heart issue. This phrase used throughout the book Exodus. Before or after each plague, the text says one of the following. Pharaoh hardened his heart, or God hardened Pharaoh's heart, or Pharaoh's heart was hardened. It's left ambiguous. We don't know really who was the culprit there, but It should hopefully raise your eyebrows, not to mention a whole host of questions like, did God set Pharaoh up for a fatal position? Or did God override Pharaoh's own freedom? And if so, is this fair? Or why would good and loving God harden someone's heart in the first place? Well, let's look at the facts. Let's look... At the numbers of the 20 times that we see this occurring in the book of Exodus, 10 fully have God as the subject. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Four are explicit in making Pharaoh the agent. Pharaoh hardened God, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And six are passively formulated where it's ambiguous. Pharaoh's heart was hardened. So what's happening here is I believe that the text is clearly affirming one of two things or both of the following things. That Pharaoh hardened his heart. Next slide, please. That Pharaoh hardened his heart by his own nature as he sinned, freely hardening his heart. And that God hardened Pharaoh's heart so he could work out his own purposes. We must remember that Pharaoh is not some blameless, innocent individual. This is a man who doesn't care at all about people. He doesn't care for God. He's stewing in injustice. It's not that his shining integrity gets compromised and usurped as God subverts it carry out his own purposes. No, God uses Pharaoh's own natural evil proclivity. He uses Pharaoh's own evil nature to carry out God's own purposes. In other words, what I feel like is happening, what God is doing here is that God is handing Pharaoh over to Pharaoh's own desires. He's stewing an injustice. He doesn't care about humans. He doesn't care about God. He is a man living in darkness. And God hands Pharaoh over to Pharaoh's own desire, which actually happens to be Pharaoh's own demise. The text continues. And you can hear this darkness of Pharaoh in his response to Moses, Pharaoh said to him, go from me, watch out for yourself. Do not appear before me again, for when you see my face, you will die. Moses said, as you wish, I will not see your face again. Pharaoh's life without God is a life of darkness. But had he turned to the true reality Had he turned from his darkness and opened his eyes to the light. Maybe his story would have ended up different. Maybe they wouldn't have had to experience destruction. Maybe they wouldn't have had to go through all the hardship. If he were to open up his heart to God. Step out of the darkness and into the light. You know, I have a friend that I meet with once a week. And he's seen his share of darkness. From running with gangs at an early age, to dealing drugs, to winding up on the inside of a jail cell. He's seen a lot of darkness after 9-11, he joined the Navy, where he also saw his share of darkness. From carrying corpses out of the aftermath of a tsunami, to being one of the few who survived a helicopter crash, to being shot in the leg, he's seen his share of darkness. But this man has also seen his share of light. As he has opened up his heart, he's opened up his life, he's turned to the true reality and is pursuing God relentlessly. But I asked him as we were getting coffee the other day, I asked him, what is darkness? What is light? And how do you get out of the darkness and into the light? And he came up with some phenomenal answers that I I just want to share with you. I asked, what is darkness? And he said, it's mental And it's physical too. I feel like I don't want to do anything. Like no one wants to be around me and I don't want to be around anybody. I feel alone when I'm in darkness. Like nobody loves me. And I wonder why can't I get out of my addictions? I'm not in the mood to eat. I feel lazy, lethargic. I just want to crawl under the covers and disappear. Hide from the world. Close the door. Lock it. Shut myself out. There's no peace, and it feels like my life is coming to an end, and I'm not where I need to be. Darkness is a harsh reality that hits hard, and I realize I'm here because I put myself here, and I can't find my way out. I start to question, is this who I really am? I feel isolated. I don't feel loved. Well, how about light? What's light? he said, life in the light is beautiful. Life is bright, not gloomy. In the light, I learn to love the sunshine and the rain. I want to love people, help people. I have a desire to love people in bold, radical ways. Life is good, bright, and beautiful, like a weight is lifted off my chest and I can breathe. I can live again. I've got something to live for. I have goals. New possibilities arise. Dreams galore. I feel motivated to do things. I feel positive and at peace. I have a hope for the best. I'm emotionally open to God and people. I feel good with jitters. Overcome with happiness and joy. I ask, well, how, how do you get out of the darkness and into the light? What would you tell somebody? He said, well, it starts with your relationship with God. Praying. It may feel like a one-way street sometime. But know that God is listening. Don't give up. Get deep in prayer. Do your part and open up the Bible. Have someone to talk to. Someone that you can be honest with and they can be honest with you. Open up and be honest with yourself. Go to church Get involved in the community of people and be consistent. Find a good mentor. But whatever you do, don't give up. No matter how hard it gets, take it one day, one hour at a time. Remember, that, that was no, no great Thinker, theologian, philosopher, author, pastor. But that's a great friend and a great follower of Jesus. I think it's some great advice in there on how to get out of the darkness and into the light. You know, we've all seen our share of darkness, whether it's been gang violence or workplace gossip. We've all seen our share of darkness but Jesus says in John chapter 8 verse 12 I am the light of the world the one who follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life there are only two choices you live in the light or you live in the darkness there are no 50 shades of gray type of living because a shade is a combination of light and dark, and in God there is no darkness. None, not at all. You can't be living in the darkness and dabbling with the things of sin if you're following Jesus. Because if you follow Jesus, you're living in the light, there's no in between. 1 John, we'll close with this as the band comes back up. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-9 through nine says, Now this is the gospel message. We have heard from Him and announced to you, God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and yet keep on walking in the darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we do not bear the guilt of sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous, forgiving us our sins and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. So how do we walk from here? It's a very simple message. Don't live in the dark, live in the light. But the truth is, it's more than just a, okay, yeah, I got to live in the light, not in the darkness, because many of you may walk out of here and that's all all you're taking. And the next thing you know, you're driving down the street or you're heading home and all of a sudden you've jumped right back into darkness again. But how do we make this stick? How do we continue? live in a practice where we live in the light where we we step out of the shades and shadows of darkness and and how do we walk in the glorious light of the Lord I think a lot of the things our friend said were were critical your relationship with God has to be the most important thing if it's not you're going to be living in darkness is Jesus more important to you than Than pornography. Is Jesus more important to you than alcohol? Is Jesus more important to you than gossip? Is Jesus more important to you than being right? If not. You're living in darkness. But friends I believe that we have been living in darkness for far too long. That it's time to emerge. Into the glorious light. Because we can't find our way. There's no light for our path, no lamp for our feet when we live in darkness. I want you to close your eyes. Maybe you're here today. And you know, I've been living in the darkness for so long that I can't find the door. Maybe you feel like your your hands are tracing the walls, but you can't find the door. You can't find the place where the light needs to pour in. And you're frantically walking around the room, bumping into chairs and sofas, upturning tables because you can't find the door. You continue to drag your hand against the wall, rubbing them raw as you're trying frantically to find the door, but you can't. The darkness is so thick that you can't find your way out. The struggles, the troubles, the life issues, the burdens, they've all clouded this. They've all presented this room that is full of darkness, that you can't escape. If that's you today, and you're trapped. I want you to know that there's hope. Because every door, every lock. It's not strong enough for Jesus because he breaks in and he opens the door and he shines his glorious light in your life. And he shows you the way out. And I believe that today he is, he is knocking on someone's heart, that he's ready to open the door. But are you going to invite him in? Are you going to give up the search for the door? And say, Jesus, I'm powerless. I cannot find the way. I need you to show me the way, to burst in through the door and show me your glorious light. Because this darkness, it's intoxicating. This darkness is confusing and distracting. And all of these things that I thought were important are not important. But Jesus, you are important. So burst into the scene here, Lord. And show your glorious light that we may see it and would we be forever changed. So it's time, friends, to repent. It's time to lay our burdens down and confess before God. That Jesus, we need you more than ever. We are living in darkness. But Lord, we need we need a Savior. We need your glorious light. And we believe, Lord, that you are here to save us and to lead us into you the land of the living. We look to you, Jesus, our hope, our Savior, our salvation. Just as the Egyptians were in three days of darkness, so too, Jesus, you experienced three days of darkness, but light came as you rose from the grave, defeating death, defeating darkness once and for all may we live in the land of your light we pray these things in Jesus name